You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. Formerly Bulletproof Radio. A state of high performance. You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. This is the thousandth episode of The Human Upgrade. And I wanted to do something special. So it's also the first podcast that I've ever recorded out of my new studios in Austin, Texas, uh, where I am uh, living for a while, which is fantastic and fun. And it's helping me to support our Upgrade Labs franchise and lots of those going around. Guys, check out ownandupgradelabs.com if you ever wanted to bring biohacking to your town. Uh, And what else could I do that's special? How about we party? What? Well, we could have a party now, but I'm going to take you back to the second, maybe third blog post that I ever wrote back in late 2010 was, hey, I hate to say this, but alcohol is bad for you. I know that we enjoy it as humans for lots of reasons. And you've heard me talk about alcohol replacements that hit similar uh, similar pathways in your brain, uh, things like true kava and all. But I do not believe in any way, shape, or form that we are going to stop drinking as a species anytime soon. But what could you do when you want to enjoy a really good glass of wine, when you want to have some amazing tequila? I'm in Austin, apparently that's obligatory. So what do we do about that? And you've heard me talk about glutathione and vitamin C and NAC and all the precursors for glutathione and how it helps. But that's not what this show is about because, well, I already taught you that. And if you've been a listener, you probably already figured that one out and you figured out you can get away with it. But there's something new that is cutting edge biohacking. And that's what I wanted to talk about with you on the the thousandth episode, because this is the first of what I think is going to be very, very many companies with this innovative approach. It's a company I first spoke with about, what, four or five years ago about the potential for this. And it's just now ready for the market. And I'm so super stoked about it because it's a new a new way of solving a problem that I think all of us have. And we're going to talk about probiotics and pre-engineering them in a way that you haven't really heard of before. Our guest is Zach Abbott, who is the CEO and co-founder of a company called Z-Biotics. This is not like any probiotic or anything else I've ever talked about on the show before because it's the first of its kind in the world. So this isn't like a, hey guys, I want you to go buy this kind of podcast. Although frankly, I think this is a very worthy thing. This is a holy crap, we can do this now kind of podcast. It's super cool. Zach, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. And I I love that introduction because that's exactly how I think about it as well, which is that I'm excited about the technology and the new category that we're building. Yeah, I'm excited about our product. And of course, it'd be great if everybody went out and bought it. But really what I'm excited about talking about is genetically engineered probiotics. And I think the future um, that we can build with them. Well, there you go. You just said the words. A certain percentage of our audience is now up in arms. He said genetically engineering. That means glyphosate, Monsanto, and environmental devastation, doesn't it? Uh, you know, my favorite topic is uh, talking about genetic engineering. And and certainly, uh, look, the mission around Zebotics is to elevate the conversation around GMOs and genetic engineering. A major part of my strategy to live way longer than I'm supposed to is to protect my blood vessels. That's because if you don't have good blood flow, nothing else is going to work. Just like you protect your gut, you protect your brain, you ought to be protecting your blood vessels too. You can improve your arteries with a supplement called Nitric Boost from Vitellia Life. What Nitric Boost does is create a healthy cardiovascular system because it allows your cells to make nitric oxide. Nitric oxide is the molecule responsible for relaxing your blood vessels and maintaining normal blood pressure and flow. When your body has the best blood flow, you have more oxygen and things like carbon dioxide and other byproducts of your metabolism get removed more easily. What that translates to is things like increased sexual function. It's all about blood flow, after all, for men and women. Uh, Improved recovery time after working out. Reduced brain fog and a lot more. Check out Vitellia.com and they'll give you your first bottle of Nitric Boost for free with a subscription. That's a 60-day supply. 
Keeping your blood vessels healthy is one of the most effective things you can do to live a long time. Look, the mission around Zbotics is to elevate the conversation around GMOs and genetic engineering. And I think that you're exactly right. I think that a technology has been conflated with bad business practices. So I certainly wouldn't advocate and say that all GMOs are good or, or all GMOs are bad. Um, it's more like it's a tool, right? Uh, you think of like, let's say you're anti-guns. Um, you probably aren't anti-metallurgy, the technology used to make the guns, right? Because you recognize that metallurgy can also make a spoon. Um, and that has a very different safety profile, a very different kind of use case, right? And so genetic engineering is the same thing. It's a tool. It's a novel tool in our toolbox that as we've sort of advanced as a, in terms of science and biotechnology, it's something that we can do now pretty easily. And it's a matter of how it's applied. Is it applied responsibly? Is it applied for the benefit of the user? Um, all those things are questions that we can do that, or that we can ask uh, when we're trying to use genetic engineering. And so I think that genetic engineering can be used to make a lot of things that are really amazing and advance humanity in ways that everybody can align on, right? Like the purpose of genetic engineering is to help us uh, sort of combat some of the major existential crises facing humanity around climate change, emerging diseases, feeding a growing population of people. Um, genetic engineering is a tool. Biotechnology is a tool we can use, we can leverage for that. And I think that's something everybody can get on board with. Now, can it also be used for things that people don't want? Absolutely. And so really trying to elevate that understanding of genetic engineering to a place where it's not, is it or isn't it good or bad? It's more like, is this use of it any good? Um, and I think that there's a lot of really exciting use cases. Um, do you know how we make citric acid these days? Yeah, I mean, we you know, use genetic engineering uh, to make lots of things. It's uh, I would say that my favorite example of genetic engineering used in a really positive way is uh, human insulin. Um, so, uh, you know, go back to the 1960s and 70s. We were literally slaughtering tens of millions of cows and pigs and taking their livers and pancreases and loading them onto refrigerated train cars and then driving them to giant factories where we did a massive extraction of pig and cow insulin. Uh, and we gave that to people to keep them alive who had, had type 1 diabetes. Um, and then uh, this little plucky kind of bio, new biotechnology company called Genentech uh, took uh, E. coli and genetically engineered it so that it expressed human insulin. Um, and then in the space of a, ferment, a fermenter about the size of a refrigerator, uh, we could completely eliminate the slaughter of tens of millions of animals that we raised and threw away. Uh, just took their livers and pancreas. Didn't, didn't we also eat them or were they too stupid to do it? You're telling me that they didn't put them, maybe, we ate them. Maybe, we maybe not. It depends, you know, with the pharmaceutical industry, like uh, who knows if if that was considered, uh, you know, acceptable. So uh, regardless, uh, it was certainly a massively inefficient use of, of time and energy and uh, animal life. Um, and so the fact that we could then program a bacteria to make human insulin as opposed to cow or pig insulin um, you know, we were massively able to scale up and now treat, you know, a growing population and growing demand um, that needs human insulin. And so uh, nobody has a problem with GMOs if you're diabetic and you're going to die if you don't get insulin, right? It's a, a very safe use case and it's very valuable for humanity. Um, and there are so many other things that we can do with genetic engineering. And, and as I say, it's not something that uniformly will be used for good. And, and you know, and I would argue that even in the scenario, right, with glyphosate, it's a, I think that the fundamental purpose of that initially, right, you could see was was meant for sustainability, right? The idea that we could get more yield per acre, uh, mow down less farm uh, forests to make farms. Um, and that's a good goal, right? Like the, the way it got applied maybe is, is definitely unsavory. And so I don't think that that's how it worked out. But the goal of engineering to make more sustainable crops is is very possible. So there's really cool science being done right now with engineer microbes in fixing nitrogen from the from the atmosphere um, into the root nodule of plants directly, as opposed to adding nitrogen fertilizer, which people talk a lot about, um, you know, pesticides as, as environmentally damaging. But nitrogen fertilizer arguably is one of the worst things we do agriculturally. All that nitrogen gets washed off the soil, goes into lo local waterways, causes algal blooms, one of the hugest sources of greenhouse gas. And so but there's all the, you know, 70% of our atmosphere is nitrogen. There's all this nitrogen floating around there, right? And microbes are already capable of fixing that into something that a plant can use. So there's a, so that's a really great application of genetic engineering where we can actually be more sustainable in our agriculture as an example. And so I think there's a lot of use cases for genetic engineering if used responsibly and applied well, um, that could really elevate us as a humanity as we deal with existential crises. I prefer natural solutions 
because there may be unintended consequences for anything. But there are some things we can do now and something that you just stepped up there with your big background and all this kind of stuff and said, what if we solved the alcohol problem? And the alcohol problem, just to be blunt, guys, if you drink even one drink per night, several nights a week, your brain won't look the same. I am on the board of Amen Clinics. Daniel Amen is a dear friend. He's got a quarter million brain scans, and he shows people over and over what a little bit of alcohol does when you drink it. And the mechanism of action of alcohol is that it makes a lot of a chemical called aldehyde in the body. And all of the things I've taught you to do are to just blunt the aldehyde spike, the glutathione, the vitamin C, and things like that. Aldehyde is something that causes aging via the creation of advanced glycation end products. Talk to me about aldehyde for a little while, and then tell me what you figured out with gut bacteria and aldehyde. Absolutely. So aldehydes are sort of a class of chemicals that are highly reactive. They have a double bonded oxygen, and they um, are able to react with a lot of things in your uh a lot of things generally, but then, you know, specifically in your body. And so, um, the molecule alcohol is, is sort of, uh, uh, basically, uh, oxidized to acid aldehyde specifically, um, which is a, which is a, an aldehyde, um, an acid aldehyde is highly toxic. It's a, it's a small molecule like alcohol that is highly um, soluble. It kind of diffuses through your cell membranes. It can bind to DNA, uh, creating DNA addicts and pro- binds to protein, creating protein addicts. And, um, these things are, highly inflammatory and damaging, which causes cell death. Uh, and basically when you, when you're exposed to acetaldehyde, you kind of, you create all this sort of, you know, as you put it, Dave, you kind of gunk up the gears, you create a lot of cell death, you then, which stimulates a huge immune response. And you sort of get this inflammatory response. Um, dealing with kind of this havoc that's being wreaked. Um, it's kind of like the bull in the China shop. Um, and, uh, it's a very small molecule, but it has this big outsized kind of impact. And so, um, the best way, to deal with that is to turn that aldehyde um, uh, into another molecule that's not as reactive. So we basically remove that double bond and, and turn it into acetate, which is essentially acetic acid is vinegar. Um, and so that's a short chain fatty acid. And I'm sure um, we've talked about that many times, right? So things like butyrate, propionate, acetate, these are short chain fatty acids that are actually anti-inflammatory, uh, good for your microbiome, good for your body. Um, so we're taking this highly toxic molecule acid aldehyde and then we're converting it to acetate. And that's that's the normal biological process that happens. Your liver expresses enzymes that break down the alcohol into acetaldehyde, but then immediately uh, another enzyme that converts acetaldehyde to acetate. And so that's normally how the biology of your body works and how, how we detoxify alcohol. Um, so uh, that's, that you know, that's uh, generally speaking what your body's trying to do. Um, and then I can kind of talk about where that goes wrong uh, in the body if... if yeah, let's talk about what happens during that process. So I take a shot of tequila. Mm-hmm. So I'm not worried about at this point, uh, I'm not worried about all the the yeast and mold byproducts and histamines and other additives that can be present in wine or, or flavored alcohols and stuff like that. So I'm talking about a pure, mostly alcohol and water thing, like a vodka, tequila, whiskey, something like that. I take a shot of it. Okay, goes into my stomach. How does it get to my liver? Yeah, so basically, exactly. Look, you whatever you're drinking, if it has ethanol in it, um, I'm going to tell the story of the ethanol. Then there's all the other things that might yeah. be in there that you may have to deal with separately. But the ethanol um, basically, you know, goes exactly gets absorbed in your bloodstream at various stages during your digestive tract. Some of it actually gets absorbed in your mouth. Some gets absorbed in your stomach, mm-hmm. and then some gets absorbed uh, in your intestines. And so that gets absorbed in your bloodstream. The ethanol circulates throughout your body, and it has the effects that it has, which is generally speaking why people drink. Um, and then it uh, once it's in your bloodstream, then your liver has access to it. So everything kind of in your blood eventually gets filtered through your liver. Um, and it, once it hits your liver, um, that alcohol is processed, as I said, in two stages, basically. And alcohol dehydrogenase converts the alcohol into acetaldehyde. Um, and then immediately that acetaldehyde um, is converted by another enzyme called acetaldehyde dehydrogenase, and it converts that acetaldehyde into acetate. From acetate, many other things happen metabolically to it, but from a toxicity standpoint, the ethanol has now been detoxified from your body. Um, so the story is a little different, though, in your gut. Um, most of the alcohol is absorbed into your bloodstream, and your and your liver is excellent at detoxifying it, unless you have a mutation in the acetaldehyde dehydrogenase enzyme, but separate separate issue. Uh, for most people, yep. um, that's very straightforward. And so then, um, but but what happens in the gut is that a small amount of the alcohol that reaches your gut before it's absorbed into the bloodstream actually gets converted 
uh, or it gets metabolized in the gut directly, large part by your microbiome, by the microbes that are living in your gut. Um, and your microbes, you know, alcohol, ethanol is, is toxic to human cells, but also to microbial cells. Um, and so they express alcohol dehydrogenases pretty regularly. Um, and so some small amount of alcohol that you drink is converted into acetaldehyde by an alcohol dehydrogenase enzyme, similar to one your liver uses. Um, and But subsequently, that acetaldehyde that forms in the gut is not converted to acetate because bacteria don't express acetaldehyde dehydrogenases as commonly. So what happens is even though it's a very small um, site of alcohol metabolism, one that's honestly not discussed very often, the bacter bacterial colonic pathway of alcohol metabolism, it actually ends up being the major source of acetaldehyde in the body because the liver is so efficient at both steps, even though it metabolizes much more the alcohol. So we see colonic acetaldehyde concentrations at 300 to 500 micromolar, whereas blood acetaldehyde concentrations are closer to like 50 or 60 micromolar. So um, we're seeing like roughly 10x higher levels of acetaldehyde being formed in the colon um, rather than the bloodstream. Um, even though it's the minor source of alcohol metabolism, which is really an interesting observation, um, uh -huh. kind of gets overlooked because we're talking about a relatively small amount of acetaldehyde, but sort of the dose makes the poison. Um, okay. A small amount of acetaldehyde can wreak a lot of havoc throughout the body. So it forms in the colon, and much like the alcohol I described, it gets then um, absorbed in the bloodstream, wreaks havoc throughout your body, bull in the china shop, and then it goes into your liver, and your liver very effectively and quickly detoxifies it using an acetaldehyde dehydrogenase. So generally speaking, that's part of what you're dealing with when you drink. People who have listened for a while know that there's kind of three things in the biotic world. There's prebiotics, which is stuff that feeds bacteria in the body, right? And I tell you which ones to take and all that kind of stuff. We've had lots of episodes about it. There's probiotic, which is certain species of bacteria that do things you want them to do. And then there's postbiotic which is compounds made by bacteria in the gut. And you can take some of those. There's famous ones like spermidine that I talked about on the show and, and wrote about even before it was commercially available in my aging book. So there's those things. It's the food for the bacteria, the bacteria themselves, and let's call it the poop from the bacteria. Those are the three things we have to play with in the microbiome. And what you're saying is that alcohol itself, when we absorb it, isn't that big of a deal because our liver's got that covered. But when the alcohol functions as a prebiotic, in the colon, that's when things get really shitty. That's a, <laughs> and a very interesting way to look at it. Bacteria in the colon make really bad levels of stuff that cause most of the damage from drinking. Mm. Yeah, well, that's a really interesting way to phrase to look at to think of alcohol sort of as a prebiotic. I think that it may like a microbiologist might be upset by coloring because it's probably not necessarily feeding the microbes, which traditionally is kind of, but, but you're right. It's the same principle, right? That like it's an input to the microbiome and then a, the acetaldehyde is the output, which is what we traditionally think of as a postbiotic. And so it's true. That's exactly right. And so we're basically by, we take a live probiotic bacteria um, to try and change that output of the microbiome to change sort of the postbiotic output. It's a really, it's a really good, good kind of so, analogy. For so that about it. That's what you did with Zbiotic. And when you first pitched me on this idea, like five years ago, you were a tiny little company. The first VC I ever worked with, a guy named Rick Bollender, I hadn't talked to him in literally like 25 years. He calls me and was like, Dave, I found this company. It's going to change the world. And it were very early days. I think it was just you and another friend yep. working on it. Uh, and I'm like, this is massive because no one's ever done a specific genetically engineered probiotic that's going to change the output of bacteria in the gut to take away the bad stuff. This is massively interesting. And what you finally sent me, I mean, it's taken a while. I tried something like years ago in a little unlabeled <laughs> vial, I yeah. a lot of unlabeled vials, but you've got the full on like pre-alcohol probiotic drink. That is, yes, guys, it is genetically engineered 100% with no shame to do stuff that your bacteria cannot possibly do, right? So I'm gonna, open it up here because I didn't open it ahead of time. Yes, I have a pocket knife in my pocket almost all the time unless I'm on an airplane because, well, that's how you're supposed to do it. And it's literally a little shot. You take this. It's got live bacteria. It doesn't have to be refrigerated, right? Mm -hmm. And we can talk about okay, why that so is. So you can have yeah. this in your bag. You drink it, and then you are protected from the acid aldehyde spike when you drink. How long before you drink do you have to consume Zbiotic?
There are more people than ever running online businesses using the internet because a lot of us are stuck at home. And navigating an online business can be really tricky today because of these ever-changing algorithms and SEO. You never know what's going to happen. And it's possible to navigate it on your own, but why take on that stress? I didn't. That's why I work with a guy named Stefan Spencer who essentially wrote the books, actually three of them on SEO. He's an internationally recognized SEO expert and best-selling author of Google Power Search and The Art of SEO. And in addition to hacking SEO, Stefan spent a lot of time hacking himself just like I have. He's one of us. So if you want to take your business to the next level with SEO, learn from a guy who's a master at up-leveling. Go to stefanspencer.com for information and a different approach to SEO. You can get a free consult or choose a service package that's right for you. That's S-T-E-P-H-A-N-S-P-E-N-C-E-R.com. Use code Dave and I'll give you a special discount. How long before you drink do you have to consume Z-Biotic? So pretty much immediately before you drink. So those are live bacteria in there. Um, and I know in the sort of probiotics industry, there's sort of this belief that if they're really alive, then they have to be refrigerated. And that's actually not true it's really just the commercially available probiotics we have now will grow uh, in a liquid. And so you have to refrigerate them to stop them from growing. But we use a bacteria called Bacillus subtilis, which is a really common microbe. You likely eat it already every day of your life. It's ubiquitous okay. in the environment. It's on fruits and vegetables. It's also been intentionally used in the fermentation of, of soybeans in, in natto and uh, kombucha and things like that. And so um, this is a bacteria that is naturally evolved to exist in the environment, uh, and it, it forms uh, an endospore. Uh, which is a highly resilient, um, basically hibernation state of the bacteria. Spore forming. Right. It's a spore forming bacteria. So it means it can tolerate huge fluctuations in temperature. Like it can literally tolerate boiling water. It can, um, for, for a brief period of time and uh, freezing conditions, it can tolerate huge swings in pH. So it can pass through your stomach acid unharmed in that, in this sort of endosporin, the shell. Um, and then once it passes, and so it's in this dormant state, which means it's shelf stable at room temperature, essentially forever. They've literally pulled bacillus spores from ice flows that are 100,000 years old, uh, and then they're able to culture them. They're still alive. Um, and so wow. once it passes through so, stomach acid, it senses the conducive environment of the gut, and it wakes up. And then we've engineered it to express the same enzyme, same type of enzyme that your liver uses to break down acetaldehyde. So the idea is really that we're delivering to you a, a live bacteria that has been specifically engineered to do one additional function, right? We already know that bacillus is basically the safest and most well-studied bacteria on the planet. And then we engineered it to just perform a single extra function, which express an enzyme that already exists in your body. Um, and we just moved it to where it was important, which is your gut. Do you guys see how freaking cool this is? One of the earlier podcast episodes was about spore-forming probiotics. I think I call them armor-plated probiotics from outer space or something like that was was the title of the episode because it was about this strain and keep in mind guys a strain can do many many different things even e coli there's good e coli there's bad e coli i mean there's there's thousands and sometimes tens of thousands of different strains what you've done though is you've taken a well-known spore former and you've given it a new superpower to handle alcohol in a way that bacteria haven't done before that's exactly okay right. and your bottle it says proudly GMO. Right. Like what a troll. Congrats on the marketing behind that, by the way, just as a, as a guy who's willing to say, yes, you can upgrade your own biology. People got really mad when I started talking about biohacking and they'll probably get bad. They'll probably get mad at you for saying proudly GMO, but there's no glyphosate. There's no farm. There's nothing. You're doing it in a specific uh, bioreactor. Now, let me ask you this. Okay. I'm going to take this the next time I drink and guys, I don't drink very often in particular because of this reason, I would love to enjoy sake a little bit more than I do. Um, and maybe even some wine, although I think wine has issues with histamines and whatever. So I'm going to do that. And then I'm going to poop. That's true. What's going to so. come out of me and what might the effects of that be? I, I hope you do. Um, so great, <laughs> great question. Okay, fair point. Great question. Uh, and so this is exactly right. So the idea around genetic engineering, and so you mentioned earlier about Terminator seeds, right? Like the, the seeds that, that, uh, that, you know, certain companies have, have developed that basically can't reproduce, right? And so the purpose of that is to contain the genetically engineered organism. Um, it's obviously been then leveraged for for unsafe business practices, but originally that was sort of like a safety check, right? That like it couldn't right. replicate in the environment. And, and, and from that perspective, it's actually a good thing, right? So you don't want to build something that if it escapes into the environment, it's going to cause a problem. And so that 
is, is a principle that we started with at Zbiotics, believing that like exactly like you say, we're giving you a live genetically engineered probiotic that you're going to eat and then you are going to pass out into the environment. It's definitively not contained. We strongly believe at Zbiotics that containment is not a, a, a solution because it is never going to be 100%, right? Like kind of like Jurassic Park, like life will always find a way. Um, yes. So at the end of the day, containment is not a successful strategy for moving genetic engineering forward. You have to build things that you are comfortable with going out into the environment. And so in this case, what we did was we didn't break any evolutionary boundaries, right? So 70% of all life on the planet expresses an acid aldehyde dehydrogenase. Um, many of the microbes that are already in your gut make acid aldehyde dehydrogenases. So what we're doing here is we're not introducing a new function. We didn't take a gene from a bacteria in you know the Mariana Trench and introduce it into a microbe in your gut, right? Because that's sort of crossing ecosystems that that wouldn't normally be crossed. What we did was we just ensured that you were getting enough of the enzyme at the right time. So there's there are acid aldehyde dehydrogenases already in your gut, and they're just not necessarily turned on when you need them. Um, they're turned on all the time and they're turned off. And the truth is that Bacillus subtilis is, um, you know, interacts with all kinds of microbes in the soil that also have acid aldehyde dehydrogenases. So really, okay. there's no reasonable expectation that Bacillus subtilis hasn't had this gene in its genome already. It doesn't, it's not uh, introducing a new function into its ecosystem. So we're really combining. But that's a really, that's a really big uh, explanation. And, and it's so important. There's something called plasmid level transfer. And this is a problem if you're going to take a jellyfish gene that makes a toxic venom or rattlesnake venom or something and put it in some kind of other thing that you're going to inject in people and, and no one's ever done that before, that would be untested and that is a Jurassic Park kind of scenario, right. possibly. But what you're saying is there's plenty of this gene already available in other bacteria. So bacteria will swap superpowers with each other. But if... Zbiotic bacteria were to swap with other bacteria, those bacteria already have this playing card. They already have this superpower. It's just not turned on at the right place in the gut. So on top of that, the Zbiotic probiotics are programmed so that they can't reproduce anyway. So there won't be any cell division. They won't reproduce. And even if they traded their special powers here, it wouldn't be a big deal. Well, that, I think it's so. You have a double safety thing, which certainly passes muster for me. But I don't have a PhD in microbiology. I right. just know how life works. And well, and I, I think I want to sort of adjust that a little bit. Like, so you're absolutely okay. the second part of that is absolutely true, right? That that transfer is not an issue here. And so we removed unknown unknowns, like you said. Like, if you put in a gene that has never seen that ecosystem before, you don't you don't know if it's going to cause a problem. But uh, the the gene, as you described, as a superpower, is not a superpower for the bacteria. It doesn't provide the bacteria with any advantage because acid aldehyde is, is a very, it's a highly reactive and very un, uh, unstable and therefore uncommon. Uh, uh, it's not, this is not part of like an ecosystem or an important nutrient. So like having the ability to break down acid aldehyde is not something that gives you a competitive advantage as a bacteria. It's only a superpower for humans. Um, so the fact that's that, what I mean, a superpower for right. humans, it, it, it doesn't make the bacteria stronger against other bacteria you're right. saying. Exactly. And so, so there's no competitive advantage. Exactly. That's cool. It happily will transfer the, the and so you, you mentioned plasmids, which are sort of transferable elements of DNA. And so there's also a lot of design principles we do at Zbiotics to ensure that we're not encouraging sort of like uh, unsafe uh, genetics. So for instance, we don't use antibiotic resistance cassettes or other selection markers. We make markerless uh, scarless mutations and they're only chromosomal, meaning they're on the gene, the the chromosome of the bacteria, the, the main genome of the bacteria, and they're not um, transferable. Now, that doesn't mean that they can never be transferred, but the point is that if they are transferred, they're not giving any competitive advantage or exposing the bacteria to a gene that they don't already see every day anyway. So we broke no evolutionary boundaries. So we basically removed unknown unknowns. We're not introducing anything new to the ecosystem. And so there's that means there's a lot of things that we could build that we won't. Uh, by putting those guardrails on us um, ourselves, we 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 ensure that we are doing things that we know are ecologically safe, and I think that's really important. Um, the mention that the bacteria don't replicate is not true. They they do. That's we grow them up in a bioreactor. They will replicate, but okay. but it's a bacteria that uh, Bacillus subtilis is an extremely common ubiquitous bacteria, and it's only expressing an enzyme that other back that the ecosystem already has. So there's no issue with it basically. Um, being in the environment and replicating because it's not introducing anything new to that environment. Got it. So the alcohol metabolizing gene in Zbiotic 
after you poop it out, it enters the sewage system and all. The gene is not new to the right. sewage system whatsoever. Exactly. And those bacteria are not even likely going to keep expressing it over time because after they reproduce, there's no alcohol present, there'd be no need to. Exactly right. Exactly. That there's right. there's no issue with acetaldehyde in the environment. So, you know, this this gene is not providing any it isn't changing anything, basically. Uh, that's fantastically interesting, which means that if people, w- when you go out to drink, like you probably will over the holidays, if you do this, you're likely going to have a lot less hangover the next day. But maybe more importantly, heart disease, cancer, diabetes, all of which are risk factors for alcohol, will likely go down. I, I don't think you've had a chance to do any studies on that, but we know that acid aldehyde is a pathway for all of those things. So just being someone who can look at, you know, if you punch yourself in the face, there's no study, it's going to hurt. But you can probably assume that if you don't punch yourself in the face, it's better. Uh, so I, I'm going to go via that kind of very advanced PhD level logic. It says reducing this noxious chemical when you drink is going to reduce your risks of, you know, metabolic harm-based diseases. So... Are you going to do some studies? What studies do you have on Zbiotic? Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up. So we very care, you know, as a scientist, is very careful to not, you know, imply or make any claims of that variety, right? Like, yes, we know acetaldehyde is a highly toxic molecule, um, without a doubt. Um, but we can't say for certain that breaking it down in the in the in the gut um, is going to create any sort of health advantages like that. Really, what we focused on was how you feel the next day. And so I had a hypothesis that based on the fact that acid, we know acetaldehyde wreaks havoc throughout the body. And we know that having lots of acetaldehyde creates the symptoms that you feel the next day. And very clear evidence of that, right? But nobody had sort of decoupled alcohol metabolism from acetaldehyde metabolism before, especially in the gut. Um, And so the idea was that if the gut is the major source of acetaldehyde, and we know that acetaldehyde makes you feel like crap the next day, then if we can have some effect on gut-derived acetaldehyde specifically, we could make an improvement there. And so that's really what we focused on. So our data is around First and foremost, we showed that we built a car that runs, right? Like we made a bacteria that could express acetaldehyde dehydrogenase, um, at physio- and, and that acetaldehyde dehydrogenase enzyme could break down acetaldehyde at physiologically relevant rates, meaning like we know how much acetaldehyde you're likely going to be exposed to. We know how efficient this enzyme is at breaking down that acetaldehyde. And then we show that it can do that in the gut environment. Um, so if we show all those things, okay, we've built, we built a car that can run. Now the question becomes, does, do people want to drive that car, right? Does it, does it provide them the benefit that they want? Do they feel better the next day? Can they perceive that benefit? And so we did a lot of internal testing to determine that, right? So if I'm going to bring the world's first ever genetically, and I, I want to emphasize that you, you said earlier kind of about how it's sort of like monumental technology advance, it is the world's first ever genetically engineered probiotic to go to market. So I mentioned earlier about um, Genentech making sort of bacteria that can make insulin, but at the end of the day, they bring the insulin uh, to market, not the engineer microbe. And so um, we are actually the first company ever to bring in a, a live microbe that has been engineered to market. And I think that that's an exciting uh, advancement. Um, and I think it, you know, a lot of people are applying this technology to the drug industry and when people are sick, which is important. But the fact is that the technology has a lot of advantages and, and benefits, I think, for healthy people as well who want to be healthier, right? And that's our focus, right, is making healthy people healthier. I think that's kind of the whole point of kind of the biohacker movement, um, that bringing this technology can really be a huge tool in our tool belt. Um, it requires you to be responsible. It's not a get out of jail free card, right? You have to make good choices, uh, drink responsibly, things like that. But um, ultimately, by using genetic engineering, we can bring this new function to your gut uh, reliably. And so we wanted to show that that actually resulted in a benefit for people. And so at the end of the day, do you feel better the next day? Like, that's a really important question. And so we did a lot of things internally to validate that, that we were biochemically creating that advantage. And then we did a lot of... Uh, studies and, and questions and, um, and, and gather a lot of data around um, whether or not a consumer, uh, a healthy consumer would, would perceive that benefit and would like that benefit. And we have a lot of data that's consistent with the hypothesis that we're creating that benefit. So for instance, we asked people, um, like there's all kinds of sort of like intermediate biochemistry we can, we can examine and, and there are a lot of things we did, but at the end of the day, what matters is if we give somebody the product um, and then we ask them the next day, do you feel better than expected, the same as expected, or worse than expected, right? A very simple perception of efficacy, right? So if we objectively create a benefit, let's say we say we make you feel 50% better, um, are you going to wake up the next day and say, well, I still feel something, so the product didn't work? 
Um, or you can wake up and say, wow, I feel better than I thought I would. I, I think this product worked. Um, that's an important question when you're giving it to people kind of in their in a choice in their healthy life. Um, and so when we did that study, um, it was really interesting, regardless of how many people we gave the product to, it was always about 94 or 95% of people who said that they felt better than expected and perceived the benefit of that. And then now they're on the market and we've sold hundreds of thousands of bottles of the product. Uh, we consistently see that that's the case. Customer satisfaction is right around 95%, which is really, really high, especially for um, a product kind of in, in the food or supplement space. So um, all that data is consistent with the hypothesis that we're providing a real, that breaking down gut acetaldehyde actually provides a real benefit for people. When you say a real benefit, feeling better. So am I going to go out and just have, you know, three, four drinks? Do I take one at the beginning of the first drink? Do I take one with every drink? How do I use it? I'm committed to doing everything in my power to age backwards. And one of the big things I do is cryotherapy. Brief, intense cold exposure increases collagen production and it blocks the inflammatory enzymes and the hormones that break down the collagen you already have. Cold exposure increases your production of antioxidants like glutathione and SOD, and it also causes you to burn extra calories. And when you can experience cryotherapy inside a full body chamber, you get the benefits of cold therapy on the vagus nerve, which can give you endorphin and dopamine rush you don't experience if you're chilling your whole body except for your head. CryoBuild's whole body cryotherapy systems are trusted by professional sports organizations and athletes in every major league, including NFL, NBA, NHL, and Major League Baseball. So if you want to look better, feel better, recover faster, sleep deeper, try cryotherapy and make it a part of your regular regime. You can find CryoBuild's professional level, 100% USA made and manufactured systems in more than 200 locations around the country. To learn more, go to cryobuilt.com slash Dave. That's C-R-Y-O-B-U-I-L-T dot com slash Dave. You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. Am I going to go out and just have, you know, three, four drinks? Do I take one at the beginning of the first drink? Do I take one with every drink? How do I use it? Yeah, yeah. So you take the product one. So the, what's this is what's great about this technology, right, is that we are delivering you a live enzyme factory that's going to be functional the entire time it's alive in your gut, which is, you know, for most people, this bacteria will pass through your gut in about 18 to 24 hours. So one uh, bottle of Z-Biotics uh, before drinking will be actively producing enzyme the entire time it's passing through your gut. So all night long, you know, it, uh, regardless of whether you sort of like, you know, have one drink or more than one drink uh, over the course of one hour or 10 hours, the bacteria are good for essentially a whole day. Um, and they're going to be producing that enzyme the entire time. That is remarkable in terms of changing quality of human life. And this is a pro-human use of genetic engineering uh, with what looks like appropriate safeguards in place. And the idea that you're going to take a little vial of something probably before you go out, it doesn't mean that you should go out and drink an extra four bottles exactly. of wine, right? Exactly. Um, what are the negative effects of alcohol you would expect to still be there, even though you've mitigated this big problem with Zbiotic? I love that question because it's exactly, you know, look, this is science, not science fiction. This isn't a magical cure-all, right? Like we are dealing with gut-derived acetaldehyde. When you drink, you are dealing with sort of a, a symphony or really more like a cacophony of all kinds of interesting biology. Alcohol is a really interesting molecule, creates a lot of, of damage on its own, right? So you're kind of, it's kind of the story of two molecules, right? You've got a, a, a ethanol and then you've got acetaldehyde. Um, and so ethanol creates all kinds of problems on its own. It's That's the thing, right? When you think about liver health, your liver is doing the bulk of the metabolizing here. And so the dealing with the toxicity of the ethanol itself, that's largely your liver's job. And so this product is not helping with ethanol in any way. It doesn't break down alcohol at all. So you can't drink more. You still get just as drunk and you still have to deal with the toxicity of the ethanol itself, which you know, in addition to, you know, putting strain on your liver and, and kidneys, it's, um, you know, one of the major things I think that people uh, notice is that it creates poor sleep. Um, ethanol itself does that. It binds to receptors in your brain and creates sleep issues. Um, so even if you lay in bed for eight hours, you're going to wake up and you felt like you feel like you only slept for maybe one or two because you really didn't get the deepest levels of sleep. Um, and that's all ethanol. Um, acetaldehyde now kind of is wreaks havoc at the body and creates some of that, that real deep misery that you feel the next day. Um, you know, uh, and so we're really dealing with that, but like you may wake up the next day, depending on how much you drink, um, and feel groggy cause you didn't sleep well. Um, you know, maybe have a, a slight headache or things like that. Um, but 
the good news is that like that's sort of just like kind of the veneer uh, of this uh, of sort of some of the symptoms that you might feel if you've been drinking. Um, they're easily dealt with with you know some bulletproof coffee and uh, and a good breakfast, basically like a little bit of caffeine or something like that. And so um, this is not a get out of jail free card. It's not go out and drink as much as you want, right? I'm talking to this audience specifically. I think is a great audience, right? It's people who are trying to optimize. So you're already putting in place several things that are healthy and responsible, right? You're you're probably you know not drinking on an empty stomach. You're pacing yourself. You're mixing in uh, water between your drinks, and uh, and you're making sure that, that most importantly, I think this is the least appreciated thing is that is sleep. Um, uh, is if you stop if you go to bed um, with your blood alcohol content at zero, you'll get good sleep. Um, you'll be dealing with the effects of the acid ally, which we're trying to help with, um, but you could get sleep. So the idea is like stop drinking earlier in the night. Um, I think it's like a huge, a huge thing as well. So if you do all of those things um, and, and then Z-Biotics helps you with the acid aldehyde, then you're going to wake up and you're going to be able to follow through on all the other healthy routines and habits you have in your life. And that's what's important. It's not about enabling the drinking. The drinking is the kind of thing that, as you said, Dave, just you know, the people do. Um, and that's, that's fine. That's, it can be part of a healthy social and psychological behavior. Um, if done in moderation and done responsibly. Right. But, um, it can then interfere with your healthy routines the next day, like, you know, making a morning workout or socializing with friends or whatever it might be that you do. And so that's what Zbiotics is trying to preserve for you is the ability to continue with those healthy habits. I think that it makes sense to do the stuff that has been in the world of biohacking since that very first infographic I put Absolutely. out there. Like activated charcoal. It doesn't do that much if you're drinking pure vodka or Everclear, which is pretty much all um, all ethanol. You know, the more you distill it, the more pure, the higher the proof, the more it's just ethanol, which is responsible for making you feel a certain way, both the good and the bad parts of it. Activated charcoal works for the alcohols that have uh, not been distilled like beer and wine in particular. It makes a really big difference there. And alcohol may, in all circumstances, work well with charcoal because alcohol stresses other bacteria in the gut as well. And then they can make lipopolysaccharides, which are bacterial defense or bacterial stress toxins. And activated charcoal mops that up nicely. So I like the idea of having some charcoal present, especially with beer and wine, but I always take some when I drink. And there's no reason you couldn't take charcoal at the same time you take Z-Biotic or maybe spaced out by a couple of minutes, it, the charcoal won't absorb the bacteria as far as I understand. No, not at all. There's no issue with taking okay. anything with, with Z-Biotics because say it's a bacteria you're already eating every day anyway. We just, it expresses extra enzymes. So anything that's normally present in your diet, activated charcoal, especially in the quantities you'd be taking it uh, as a supplement would definitely have no effect whatsoever uh, on, on B-Cellulose. Okay. Yeah. So, so I would say I'm adding Z-Biotic to my stack of things. If you're going to drink, you should take activated charcoal. You should take Z-Biotic. Not exactly at the same time as the activated charcoal. You might also want to take glutathione in a liposomal form because glutathione helps the liver detoxify alcohol and the liver is still doing work. Right, different, right? different pathways. You might as well make it so it's easier to do the work. Exactly, right? yeah. And so I love that. And we, we, like, we think about it like that when we try to describe it that way, right? This is a tool for your toolbox. Um, it's not... Yep. Like now, you know, you get out of jail free, you get to do whatever you want. And, you know, it's your one cure all uh, layering on responsible habits, whatever they may be. It's just, you know, if it's a supplement routine, like you're describing, I, I think behavioral routines are really important. They're also making you more mindful. Um, I think all those things are really important. So um, we definitely encourage you to kind of use Z-Biotics alongside um, other things you already do as, as somebody who invests in your health and your, in your responsible behaviors. Does Zbiotic change the feeling you get when you drink alcohol? Yeah, so no, that's exactly right. Then that, that's you know, I think an important point as I made earlier is that like this affects alcohol itself, ethanol itself, in no way. Um, it does not affect your ability to metabolize ethanol. So you have to still know your limits. You have to drink responsibly. All those things are still important because it's not going to affect the way you the way you get drunk. Or the so way you get just as buzzed. You get just as drunk when you are on Zbiotic or when you're not on Zbiotic. You just don't pay for it with the aging and all the other bad things that happen when alcohol meets bacteria in your colon. Exactly. I mean, we're dealing with the downstream okay. metabolic product of ethanol. So after the ethanol has already been metabolized, like that's that's when Zbiotic comes in. So. So really your metabolism of ethanol has not changed at all. I'm remembering over the last couple of years, there was this one weird company uh, with probably slightly demonic ownership 
And they swore up and down that if you introduced a genetically engineered compound into the shoulder muscle, it would magically stay in the shoulder muscle and not move elsewhere in the body, even though studies showed that it did. How do we know that Z-Biotic stays in the gut? So that's actually a really important point is that like the that we specifically, I think that this is a huge problem and you know, I wish we could go for another hour and talk about the microbiome because I think that's actually what's really, really yeah. interesting. Um, and, uh, one of the, so at Zbiotics, one of the things I started with was like, was really around the principle of being as simple as possible, right? Like we start with a simple biochemical reaction, a single enzyme breaking down a single molecule that we know is present in the gut, right? Like you can do a lot of complex and interesting things with genetic engineering, but keeping it simple means less things to break. And another, uh, aspect of that simplicity is around the idea of like, you have this extremely complex microbial community in your gut, right? And, and probiotics as they currently exist today are predicated on the idea that somehow you're going to interact of, uh, uh, in some beneficial way with, with your microbial community, which quite frankly, as a microbiologist, I can tell you is not a very strong hypothesis. So your microbiome today, Dave, and mine are very, very different. And yours today and yours in five months will be very different. So the idea that there's sort of this like silver bullet microbe that can come in and positively affect everybody's microbiome the same um, is unlikely. So what, what Zbiotics is, is actually, you know, the fact that it's a probiotic is incidental. That's a chassis for a biological function. And so we really sidestep all of the complexity of the microbiome by ensuring that the bacteria actually, or choosing a bacteria that actually doesn't um, seed the microbiome or, or really have to interact with the microbiome in any way. Um, this bacteria is just known to pass through your gut um, in about 18 to 24 hours for most people. Um, and there's good data to kind of support that. And so um, there's not really, and, you know, gut transit times are not going to vary that much. Um, and so it's not going to see the gut. It's not going to interact in the microbiome. Um, and it's just going to float down the river. And while it's floating down the river, we've engineered it to make sure that it definitively, reliably will express our enzyme, acetaldehyde dehydrogenase. And so as it gets, as it floats down the river and the acetaldehyde is in that river, it's going to passively diffuse through the bacterial uh, membrane, which is another uh, innovation we did to make sure that we got reliable, consistent results. Um, and so it'll deal with the acetaldehyde in the gut as it's passing through, and then you'll pass it out the other side. And so then it, if you're going to drink on Friday night and then again on Saturday night, you have to take another Zbiotics because we specifically chose a bacteria that doesn't seed the gut, which I think is actually a very important safety point that trying to muscle your way in to a very delicate ecosystem, which is your microbiome, is a bad idea. It can create problems. That would be an invasive species exactly. if you engineered it that way. Exactly. And so we okay. did. We picked a bacteria that we know has loves to engage with the microbiome and just pass right through. Um, it's something you eat already every day of your life. So really, we, like I said, we tried to create something that was changed so little that that we weren't introducing any unknowns. We, we, we relied on 3 billion years of natural evolution of the bacteria and, and 150 million years of evolution of the bacteria with the gut, with human, human gut microbiome, humanoid gut microbiome, right? So all these things we didn't change. We just piggybacked on something that was already happening with one single enzyme that performs one function. So it's really a delivery of a new biological function, which is why I'm so excited about the category of genetically engineered probiotics, because there are so many biological functions, any biological function on the planet, right? Theoretically, we can program into a bacteria and then that, and then you can temporarily eat the bacteria and then temporarily gain that function. Um, now we won't do every biological function because there's, there's risks with that stage, but, but even if you narrow that field down to like a small number, there's so much incredible benefit you can create by like introducing these biological functions in the gut where you know that there are issues. I, I can see this future and it's better than the one we have right now. And yeah, we engineered some microbes. We've been doing it for a long time. We just never took them as probiotics because no one had the guts to do it. So thank you. That, <laughs> I appreciate that you did. I, thank you so much. I, I Exactly. I think you're paying, that's exactly the vision that we see for the future as well, right? Is that, and I'm going to say something kind of bold here and I think uh, controversial in theory, but like, you know, if you let me explain myself, I think that you'll see that um, actually Assuming you use good engineering practices, engineering a microbe to perform the function is actually safer than scouring nature, safer and more efficient than scouring nature to find a strain that does it naturally. And, and here's why. Um, I know it sounds like uh, uh, counterintuitive, but if you say, so, you know, you use sperm, spermidine as an example. So you scour nature, you try and find a bacteria that can make spermidine, but you don't know any of the other things that that bacteria does. Is that bacteria safe to eat? Um, does it produce surfactants or as you said, like LPS, if, uh, you know, bacterial toxins, all kinds of things. So you're basically going to take that bacteria that we know nothing about, and then you're going to have to try and characterize its safety so that you can get that one function that you want. 
right? And so there's countless examples in nature. Uh, people think of nature as safe. Nature is extremely dangerous, right? Like all of our diseases and and all the poisons come from plants. Like this is that's that's a very dangerous place to be. Oh yeah. So. It- it's so safe. Just walk outside and eat something yeah, yeah, right. and see how you yeah, do. Yeah. Whatever it, dirt or plant, right. it's going to just trash you, exactly. right? So nature in and of itself is 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 dangerous. And we have to kind of filter that and make sure that we find things that are safe. So, And currently, that's kind of where the technology was in the 1700s, which apparently people want to go back to, right? Is that you take something that's that's natural and then you hope it's safe because it's natural. But what I would argue is that if we start with something that we have already extremely well characterized to know to be safe, so Bacillus subtilis being the safest bacteria on the planet, the second probably best studied organism in existence besides E. coli. Um, and we know that that bacteria is safe. Um, and then we engineer it to do one specific function that we also know to be safe. Then now we have we are leaning on decades of safety data already, as opposed to starting from scratch with something we've isolated from the environment. So engineering becomes a way, if, like I say, if done responsibly, and right there's big caveats to that, right? We, we talked about ways that engineering can be done irresponsibly. But if done responsibly, an engineer microbe can be better characterized, better, like less unknowns to your to your human health, um, safer, more efficient, more effective, and uh, you know essentially something that we can rely on better. And so I envision and that's that's you know the probably GMO thing isn't a gimmick, right? That's because I believe strongly in the fact that genetically engine, genetic engineering makes the product better, and it's better for you, right? Like so, we're not if you walk into a store and you have a choice between GMO corn and non-GMO corn, there's no benefit to you to take the GMO corn, right? The GMO corn is for the farmer. Right. Um, it's not for you, the user, right? So we use genetic engineering to create a benefit for you, the user. Um, and I think that's a really important difference, right? And so um, the fact is that we're proud about the fact that we use genetic engineering because we created something that did not exist before. You cannot get this product somewhere else. It's not, this function didn't exist. We did that. And so genetic engineering is what made that possible. And so I'm very proud of that. And I think I think that people should be excited about that. We were applying technology in a responsible way that creates real benefits. So I have the same vision as you, that we walk into a grocery store 10 years from now and we look for the genetically engineered probiotics because they've demonstrated to be more effective, safer. Uh, and as long as, as I say, we, we do these things responsibly. And so we're working on advocating for clear and transparent regulations around genetically engineered microbes so that we all can, can operate in sort of a safe sandbox. And I think that's another really important thing, again, that I could talk for another hour about. But um, ultimately, that's an exciting future that we're trying to create. For me, I think that uh, regulation, it's not that it inherently can't be trusted. It's that like, especially when it's reactive and political, then, then, then incentives are not aligned. Um, and so I think that um, this is a, an important point, a nexus for us as a as a as a kind of growing new category of genetically engineered microbes. Specifically, is that if we can establish scientific and rational regulations now, um, then ahead of sort of a wild west scenario where where stuff's all over the place, and then there's sort of like a fear based reactionary kind of. Uh, or, or to your point, or, you know, I, I think there are many different kinds of scenarios that, that result in bad regulation. So fear-based reactionary, reactionary political or uh, financially motivated, kind of like somebody wanting to exclude. And that, that's what happens a lot, right? Is that, you know, a lot of innovation get by little guys like, like, like Zbiotics, right? Like by small new startup innovative companies get squashed by the big players who have the money to go through the very bloated regulatory process. And yes. to be very clear, regulation is important. I'm not saying that it isn't, uh, but Ideally, it's done in a way that that guarantees safety um, and, and prevents both. Uh, I say especially unintentional bad actors, um, you know, people who are trying to do good but but accidentally create something bad. Um, yeah. But then, uh, but doesn't squash innovation. It allows that sandbox to be there for for everybody to kind of build new great ideas. It's funny because regulations don't stop bad actors. Right. I mean, even if Congress says exactly. don't fund that kind of research, you could still fund it and get away with it and maybe even get like a little gold star for That's it. That's precisely so. Right. Yeah. You know, it, it telling bad people to stop doing stuff doesn't matter. I want good people listening to understand what bad people might do so that we can see them doing it and we can literally stop them by taking hold of their throats because that's how you stop people like that. There is no other way. And then you can feed them their own creations until their eyes turn purple or whatever that happens. I don't even know. But what I, uh, what I do want to know it, is that there is a level of industry regulation. Yeah. Um, where you guys identify, don't do that, you know, gain of function for negative things in gut bacteria that might spread to humans would just be bad. Exactly. So let's do, let's not do that. 
I think there's a very clear risk reward here. The risk appears to be very, very low. The reward appears to be very, very high and you feel it the next day. And in my mind, that's a recipe for a winner because if the reward is high and you don't ever feel it, we don't really do that as a species because we're lazy and there's a reason we're lazy. It's to survive famines. Right. That's all built into our hardware. So anyway, I'm a fan of Z-Biotic. Uh, I am going to have some this evening. I'm going out for sushi and I'm ordering sake. I normally drink maybe once every month or two and I like to make it older than I am. It's going to be very good sake tonight. I promise you that. And I'm going to take Z-Biotic right before I have it. And I'll probably feel pretty good tomorrow morning and that's the whole point of it. Zach, thanks for being willing to take a really controversial but correct stand. You're not doing it from a place of making a ton of money. You're a PhD microbiologist. You've studied immune systems. You know what you're doing. Uh, you're actually doing something good. I'm so stoked and I'm so excited and I'm honored to have an innovator in the field on for a thousandth episode. Thank you so much. I, honestly, it's been an honor to be on it. I love that takeaway. That is that is the mission of the company is to elevate the conversation, not good or bad. Um, and uh, I think that this is really the first of many for us, right? Like there's so much good we can do with this tech. And I think I'm really excited about that. And I'm also excited about the opportunity to kind of move this conversation forward. Um, and so I love the idea about not being programmed. You have a very savvy audience. And I think that they're, they're smart enough to know that that everything is, uh, there's, there's always you know two sides to every story. Um, and so I'm really excited to have been able to talk with you about it. One more question before we go. Um, I've got the three pack here of Z-Biotic and I've got the, whatever the heck pack this is, six bottles and a dozen bottles. How long does it last? Because there's a code, yeah. you guys use code Dave, who would imagine, Zbiotics, just the letter zbiotics.com slash Dave, use code Dave, they'll give you 15% off. But if I buy the big one and get my 15% off, how long will it store? Yeah, I mean, so look, as I said, the bacteria are in an endospore, they'll last pretty much forever. Um, and so we put uh, uh, an expiration or use by date of uh, 18 months from bottling, um, mostly because the the seal on the cap over time could degrade and, you know, whatever. So, uh, but you know, it's good for a very long time. So a, at least 18 months, I'd say. Yeah. At least 18 months yeah. without refrigeration. If right. you toss them in the fridge, it's like, it's going to be years and years if you really want it. Theoretically, we actually advise you don't put it in the fridge mostly because the bacteria, when they're going to get colder, can go into a deeper kind of a uh, hibernation state. Um, and so, oh, then, okay. it, it so just less, room temperature, yeah, room temps the best, okay. um, but you know, the fridge won't kill it or anything. It's just, you know, the, your yeah, optimal storage conditions is room temperature. Yeah. Takes longer to wake it up. Right. I gotcha. Yeah. All right, guys. So order the 12 pack zbiotics.com slash Dave. The reason you order 12 of these is the next time you have a drink, you're going to have a drink with a friend. You drink one, you give your friend one. You're probably gonna have a drink with several friends. You will go through the 12 pack very quickly, but it is an amazing gift. Just, hey, take this little thing. Just trust me tomorrow morning. You'll feel better. Do not go on a bender. It's not good for you. Right. But I promise you, Christmas Day, you're probably going to have the eggnog. By the way, the fat's a good thing to have with it. That's fine. The sugar's probably not so good. Have some Z-Biotic. Get it for everyone in the house. Seriously, the next day will feel better. New Year's Day doesn't have to be a zombie thing. Yes. And this this is going to help. And well, I got it. Pick up some glutathione. Pick up some activated charcoal. There's all kinds of good stuff out there. So you can have a celebration. You can do the primitive tribal alcohol thing we've always done. Maybe don't do it all the time. And when you do it, I'm serious. I am not doing it without Zbiotic from here forward and without charcoal and without glutathione and all the stuff I've already taught you. This is a new recommendation. Zbiotics.com slash Dave and use code Dave. Save your 15%. Get the big pack. Be done with it. Zach, thanks for taking time right after Thanksgiving to film Upgrade Collective, thank you for being here. I hope you enjoyed this. This is some cool shit. Like this is this is the future, and it's happening. And uh, part of my job is is to bring you the stuff before you're probably going to hear about it anywhere else. And this has been on my radar for five years and wasn't ready yet, and now it is. So yay! Thank you so much. You're listening to the Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products.
Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.